Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a talk about the future of self-driving car. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I am so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zolkario, innovation and product uh, Uh, innovation and value creation expert, and I'll be your host. And I have a very special guest with me. My guest is William Sachiti. Hi, William. Hi, Great morning. How are you? I'm good. William yeah. is the founder at the Institute of Robotics, and we're going to have this really, really interesting talk about what will be our future with robotics and, and self-driving cars. And we're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions. And now we can start. So let's start just knowing how did you come to do what you're doing? Like, tell us a bit your, about your journey to the autonomous car uh, space and how did you come to this specific, very crowded, um, sophisticated, hard-to-solve to, to um, space, actually? Sure, thank you. Um, so I'm what you'd like to call a serial entrepreneur. I started my entrepreneur journey when I was as young as 19. Wow. Um, and at this time, I started this... Uh, And this crazy idea that what if you could buy a domain name you know like www domain name online autonomously like it used to be very complicated I'm talking just as Google's rising that there was no way to it was really hard to, how do you actually do it for small businesses so I thought I'll automate this process and I started a small startup called for one two three registration where people would go and they could enter what name their company is and then enter the type of business and And through this book one of the first sort of automatic website builders so anyone could just register a domain and have a mini website so this grew grew got to several thousand tens of thousands of customers grew very large and then someone was crazy enough to buy it and that was my first sort of startup then I stayed in tech I went to do a second startup which was in the space of advertising so there was a crossover between doing domains and websites and advertising in general because people to promote themselves and And then with this, I found by speaking with so many businesses, there was this unique gap in the market where a medium, small to medium-sized business could not afford to advertise on a billboard, for example, in their local town. Um, because this was normally a space where large agencies would buy the entire region and you'd see maybe TV, uh, TV channels promoting the latest show or something. So right. I thought there's got to be a better way. So I realized there's something in planning law that gave exemption to, For putting outdoor advertising on an area of your purpose and these were bins but not more advertising a bin. what if we make it the most beautiful bin in the world that's solar powered and so I designed and built this solar powered street litter bin that lights up at night and puts beautiful advert at night and I took this to dragon's den the show investment show dragon's den and they hated it <laughs> so I just yeah. wheeled out of the bin never to come again yeah Uh, Dragon Den is like the shark tank in in the UK right yes yes exactly the Americans yes it is essentially shark tank I think shark tank broke off from Dragon's den so, yeah, oh. so uh, they didn't I like it very much but the company didn't do too badly um, ended up being licensed by companies like Dden they make the bed machines in, in in Italy and, and a few other countries until I sold the master license and then my last largest startup was called my city venue this was in the things to do space. Now that I've sold a startup, what do I do with my free time? I realized how hard it was to find anything to do in London. <laughs> <laughs> I hard. can solve this. <laughs> so yeah. 
finding stuff to do was very fragmented in the 2010s. What I mean by this is if you go and you want to find a karaoke bar, the same bar to give you karaoke tonight is a goth night on a Thursday, is a rave on a Saturday. So the same place would have different items happening. So you can't actually find where do I find this specific thing. It's, it's all in the place. Right. So I thought I'd bring order to chaos and build very clever automation scripts which allow anyone to type in what they want, what night, then it figures out all the matrix of what's happening and get your results. So this was very popular, it grew very quickly, and then it got acquired by the company Secret Escapes. Um, and the data was also acquired on the big taxi apps. And so that was my last startup, which was a, maybe four or five years ago, which brought me into self-driving cars. So yeah. I realized that as an entrepreneur, I've done so many industries and I've done well enough that I don't really want to sail off into the sunset. Um, and the world has bigger problems to solve than maybe a better way to book a restaurant because that's kind of what Silicon Valley will, will fund you. If you have a really cool dog walking app, they'll scale quickly or some widget or some color, or yeah, they'll fund you. But I thought there's more complex problems and logistics. Logistics is complicated. It's is very detailed and I thought that is so me. It'll probably take years, but I yeah. like a good challenge. However, I realized I didn't have the geeky enough credentials to be able to do such a startup. <laughs> so I went back to university and I studied wow. artificial intelligence and robotics at Aberystwyth University in Wales. And there I met most of my founding team with the PhDs there and the professor and we left to start Academy of Robotics. So what Academy of Robotics does is we design and build self-driving cars which autonomously deliver packages wow <laughs> that's how i, I, I the first I, it's a, it's a long story and i have to tell you this after doing all of that going back to university i i can so relate to that for me like i would go to the back to university each day because you always learn more and more and then you say okay i want to learn something like really deeply and then yeah. it's like a very good place to so start right the world changes right it's always changing and so we've got to realize this like you know 10 years before 10 years who knew that one of the biggest industries would be social media and apps right um, no so, so as the world changes i think it's important we change ourselves and so that's what i did is i just updated myself based on where i thought the world would be going and so yeah. we started doing self-driving cars yeah and you know like this this company probably is like is aware that there are so many other competition around you so what was the first thing that you said we're going to be better in in compared to all these big, big truck uh, and and vehicles around us uh, companies Elon Musk Google they're all talking about it so why did you say like this this is the thing that will make our part better So I've never looked at it as this one's better, this one's worse. We saw a very clear gap that this is not being solved by anybody. And we thought of the best way we could solve it. Quite many competitors, but we don't really stop and think about what they're doing too much. I suppose the thing to remember is all the large companies we know of, Google, Tesla, Uber, um, who else? Apple, a lot of these started in some garage somewhere or some, some university dorm room. And what, how is that different to us? Same thing, an university dorm room. I, I sketched an idea, sketched a car, and went to my professor. I said, I want to do this in two years. I said, you do realize we do it now? I said, wait, yes, oh my gosh, we do it now. Um, so yeah, that's how we started. We weren't really thinking too much about 
what everyone else thinks. But one thing that does make us unique though is this. The university that I went to is known for, it's a vision system for the Mars rover. Um, these are the people that, that help what I call the coolest self-driving car off planet to be able to see on an alien planet where there's no roads, no markings. So we went to University in Wales, which is a rural area. There's no markings, there's no... So we need to try and make a car drive itself in that environment. And so I suppose that's what you could say makes us different to the others. But we don't really focus what the others are doing, too much focus on what we're doing, where we're going, and we solve that problem. Because it's about solving the biggest problem felt by the highest number of people. And we have the skill and the motivation to do so. Yeah, the last mile problem. That's yes, precisely. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, so our implementation is the last mile problem. But, but there is something that happens when you make a self-driving car. When you make a self-driving car, it's, it's a field of advanced robotics and artificial intelligence. So a self-driving car needs a vision system, an ability to see. Right. So whilst it's logistics, that ability to see can be transferred to so many other industries, which will be another multi-billion pound industry. For example, we're working with a company called Eurovia on how we make our vision system be able to help them see the damage on the road as the car is driving and predict where the damage is going next. We can actually tell the depth of these potholes. It's a standard feature our self-driving cars can do, but it's transferable. Yeah. The car moving from A to B is also transferable to a farm machine, to a to, to a local school run, to maybe even a robot. So yeah. we started logistics, that's sort of the, the app, the killer app for now, but this likely will expand to the other industries where we solve the problem at the same time. So you're taking your capabilities and you're trying to think what are their problems they could solve with these capabilities that you already acquired to, to do only Absolutely. that. Yeah, that's why we're called Academy of Robotics and not specifically Cargo, because yeah, we are a robotics and innovation company first. And Cargo is our flagship product. But don't be surprised, they're being offshoots of what our technology does being used in other industries. Yeah. You know, like most people, when they're thinking about robotics, I guess that maybe Boston Robotics will be the first thing that comes to their mind. I don't know if their PR is so good or they are so good. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> that was very cool. That's right. So do you get this question? Like people are asking you what you're doing compared to that. Is it going to be similar to that? Are you going to replace people and, and humans and doing other things? How do you relate to that? No, so, yeah, that's so, so we... um. We never actually get compared to Boston Dynamics, Boston Dynamics too much um, because we don't tend to do humanoid robots. But, but on the subject of labor, something really important, we don't actually make robots to replace jobs or people at all. So we try to solve the biggest problem felt by the highest number of people. And what we mean by this is there are many places where it's actually better to have a robot to do it. It just is um, because it might be Tedious, for, for example, in the work with the Royal Air Force, for example, where on a really large military base, you've got so many things happening and people are trained for, these are very smart professionals who've been trained for ages. And sometimes there's a quick job to run, to drive something across an air base. And there's something else they can do. They might rather just send a robot to do it while they do something they're trained on, which requires human intellect. So yeah. they're, they're not, I wouldn't say mundane tasks, but they're tasks where it's just more efficient to send a robot. Yeah. And so this is what we think of logistics, where if you look at the growth rates, I think global e-commerce is about 4 trillion um, a year. 
and that's e-commerce and it, it keeps growing. And last time logistics, logistics, last mile logistics is a hazard. That's about a hundred billion, I think, thirty-one billion or something at the moment, and it's still growing. And there still is not enough drivers to to kind of meet the demand. So we try fill gaps in labour as opposed to replace labour. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but I guess that most people, let's let's say about like in a base, the air force base, you probably have drivers taking people from one way to the other, taking supply from one place to the other, right? And and the, okay. it's like their position, right? This is what they're no, doing. No, not quite. So, so in an air force, it's a very trained profit. You're not, you can't hire a, let's say, standard driver uh, who was normally just, let's say, previously you would drive out to the air force. It's a very secure yeah. site. It's probably three years. Oh. So there's also by their trained personnel where um, mm. they're qualified. So let's take it away from the air force for a bit. Let's go to pandemic, for example. During the pandemic, we started semi-autonomous deliveries of taking medicines from pharmacies to care homes, where they everyone knows how hard it was to get a delivery during pandemic, and there's the whole contact-free thing. That's a that's a better, more you know, practical example that's easy to imagine of, where yeah. there is a shortage in the in the supply, and and we we fill it with robots, and there are many many use cases like this where we can see more and more. Um, you no, know, pe- people need to have their jobs, yes. Ideally, 20, 30 years from now, yes, let's, let's maybe automate a lot more and people don't need to work because we can make everything free. Um, <laughs> but I suppose my favorite example of automation is when the bank machines, we call it a hole in the wall, the ATMs are first yeah, introduced. A lot of people here suspected that it's the end of bank tellers and all these things. But in fact, what happened is banks hired more people than ever um, because they were now free to do other things um, and ATMs actually expanded their network, so it was actually for the better. So this is how yeah. we like to think of ourselves and how we like to push our technology. So you're a small company and you need to compete with these tech giants. So how are you able to design and build? You do, you do both the hardware and software. So how do you do all of that and complete what you need to do in such like a small scope of people or a company which is so small? Sure, uh, I, I want to blame evolution. <laughs> Weird answer, but so in evolved systems, um, species will do what they need to to survive with what they have. So it's the same with startups. We didn't have a billion dollars in our back pocket. Still don't have a billion dollars in our back pocket. So a large tech company like Google would happily install a billion dollars worth of, let's say, a lidar sensor on all their cars. But because we didn't have that, we'd have to innovate and find ways to try achieve the same result without losing loads of money. So we survive still. So what we do, or what we did specifically is um, we thought, how can we get from A to B without using a specific type of sensor? And we found actually there's other ways where you can just use software because the human brain does it so well, even that an insect brain can move from A to B without the complexity that we have. We move from A to B Bat moves from A, all these species move from A to B, but with different sensors, different implementations. And we just thought like that, like if we were uh, sort of a natural evolved system, how do we use a camera and what do we do best? Software and intellectual power. And similar to a cockroach, how would that move? And so, yeah, we apply that and we're able to navigate just as well. And in many cases, even better, um, simply because we adapted to our constraints and didn't conform to the one way to do it. 
Because if you have yeah. a billion dollars, we we'll throw a billion dollars at it. If you don't, you what? Of course. We just did it. Yeah, we just did it. And so, yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. You know, like uh, necessity is the mother of all creation or Absolutely. innovation, right? So, uh, I, I, you know, like I come from Israel and we have so many startups here. And I think that the fact that people are really, um, first, very practical in doing things. And, for, and, and second, they don't, they start from nothing and they have this eager uh, motivation yeah, to do yeah. something. I think it's so, so much more important than, than what maybe, I know, Mercedes might have. Yes. Um, so so yeah, I'm just... Uh, yeah, it's a giant. And also, startups tend to be a lot more adaptable, where an example being, I'm not going to name any... Let's say an, an unnamed corporation might spend a billion dollars to build a process, a method, a system, and this is the direction it's now going. They'll hire loads of people. And then some geek or some university kid or someone designs a new type of algorithm that makes everything they've been doing cheaper, faster. For a corporation, it's not practical to just ditch a billion dollars worth of research. They'll likely continue on with their implementation for a while, try adapt it because it's a giant ship. But for a startup, we have once or twice said, the way we're doing it is just, it's, there's an more if you want and just scrap it all. And then that's it, let's do a sprint and rebuild this new structure because we can do that as smaller companies. Um, because as the world changes, tech changes, tech is one of ours, processes change, they become smaller, faster, more energy efficient. So we're, yeah, we could switch our process in a, in a matter of months and not have to think, oh, we have to stop the entire ship that's been yeah. in for years. Yeah, and I think it's not that they're like very attached to the way they're thinking or the way they're, they're doing things. Usually, I think it's very hard for them to really find these very eager, even, you know, like even hungry people yeah. who, are, who want to solve it. You know, you could pay lots of money, but motivation comes from within, right? So. Yes. I think there's actually, there's something else going on, I figure, which is, um, in reality, it's actually very, very, very hard to find the right engineers. What we found is the world teaches what we call hyper-specialization, where the person who designs your software, like the algorithm that does the driving, is not the person who's able to design the hardware where that software sits, is sure. not the person who designs the mechanics. So what happens is, because of hyper-specialization, if one industry changes, it's hard to educate all at the same time. What we found a big advantage for us is most of our team can design from a pen and paper to circuit board to the software to the entire cycle. So this allows you to think in a way where you can solve problems in a different way because you know how it relates to other industries and what's happening next and so on. So when you're hyper-specialized, it's just harder to see the full picture and be able to change as quickly because one change in the hardware world means all the software will stop working. I don't right. know if that made any sense. I just need to be good there. No, no, I totally understand. Yeah. Like when when you, I think when you're thinking very structured, like the way that, that you're thinking, like this is his position, this is his position, they're integrating this way. Yes. It's like this is how you solve the problem of hardware and software and, and building exactly. things and circuits and all of that. But if you have someone who knows the high level and, and understand what is the path between the things you could change much much faster because you don't need to uh, to solve one and then two and three one after the other it makes sense sure i suppose um let's say for the benefit of your audience i'll put this as simply as i can so on a self-driving car uh, i know some of your audience are tech so I'm, I'm just, for those not right. tech, 
on a not a, on a robot, let's leave self-driving cars on a robot to often to make it go forward and back, forward and back. There is a little switch which is turning voltage up and down, up and down. They're, they call these often potentiometers. This thing goes up and down. That's a hardware device. Then a software guy will build an artificial intelligence says robot go forward and back, forward and back. Then it's fine. Everything's working. The software makes that digital press up and down, up and down. Then someone else is like, let's add an indicator. So every time when I turn left, indicate on first. So now it goes forward, back. Oh, I'm turning indicate. When you have an indicator, one thing's now happening that the hardware press software might not know together. Every time the switch goes on, off, on, off, indicate, I can call switch, 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 switch. The voltage going up and down accelerator is changing a tiny bit when that switch is on because the switch is on a tiny bit more power draw. So now you're getting an irregular, different reading for up and down, up and down. So what's going to end up happening is you have weird AI behavior. No, but I told it was always working all the time. But you'd need someone else who's able to bring in a device and measure the voltage variance over time. That's what I mean by it's complex, because these are three different industries I've just mentioned. Right. So when you're hyper-focused, your AI guy might not know as much as the hardware guy, and the hardware guy might not know as much as the AI guy, and the tunnel is crashing it. This, this is what I mean. And so that's why you need yeah. multidisciplined experts who are very hard to find. I yeah. yeah and they need to know how to collaborate uh, exactly. well and when you're a small team it's so much easier to collaborate and change the way that you, what you're doing and the processes than a huge uh, you know teams and levels and hierarchies and then you like sure. that's the unit and this manager says that he will do it this way and this manager says no we're gonna do it my way. <laughs> or whatever no, for sure. so at the moment we're we're designing this um five team structure i haven't quite finished designing it um yeah five team structure where imagine a team of five software experts but within their or two, four software experts, but within their team is one hardware expert so mm-hmm. they sit in their little their sort of their, their team and in that team there's always a hardware guy and the software there's always a software and the hardware guy and then every week one of them changes with a design guy so so they're all kind of It's like a revolving team that uses the sprint system is what we're designing where there's collaboration simply because it's always evolving like like um it's what happens in nature right there's always a, a, a something in, in AI I call it a weight something that causes change and so one of that changes is a team member switch where with the four this week oh there's a hardware guy joining us and they just do their thing but they're in your team also is a design guy so it forces them to, ah, don't, don't do that. Because in hardware, maybe they'll help them take considerations. So these are yeah. small things we're experimenting with and, and so, so far part of our structures. Yeah. yeah, I think that in general, if we learn something about the processes that we're doing, that we need much more flexibility. And, and you get flexibility from this kind of diversity and the way of thinking, which is changing and not too structured and, and, and flexible enough to, in order to do these things. And I think that startups have... The capacity to do it much faster than a very big established corporate uh, process um, oriented um, company so, so they do yeah, yeah, yeah yes they, they do um, but that's interesting see, so there's it's kind of conflicting that I really love getting it done fast however there's a silicon Valley model we also don't know so our American counterparts have a I think for came from the age of Steve Jobs and then Move fast and break things. Yeah, I think it's a Mark Zuckerberg. 
If yeah, I'm that one is, is a bit dangerous yeah. in our industry. Like we try and move fast, but not very fast. Um, <laughs> because what happens is um, these are safety critical systems. And one would argue, is it the right thing to do in all industries? If you're building an app that you want to maybe make a walk, dog walking app, yes, I think there needs to be a differentiation. And at the moment, um, the one-line headlines are very good at just tying it all into, yeah, this is what applies. Be an entrepreneur to yeah. do this and things like that. But yeah, yeah, I think that especially if we are talking about uh, security of of these devices and how people trust them. Uh, it's it's so important that they feel that everything was considered while building this because if I go on the road and I'll do some kind of a mistake you will say okay she was she was distracted okay it makes it makes sense that it happens but if a machine does it we're not that um forgiving uh, to these machines although we're forgiving to yeah. ourselves not exactly. to machines, so, right? yeah we give them I like I like the so oh if a bus comes and a lorry comes and a person what do you do and I think but you wouldn't know what to do, right? So we put some larger sort of wisdom onto the machines that to try and solve problems we can't when it comes to these things like self-driving, which is fascinating. Yeah, it, it's so strange that we forgive people and we will not forgive a device, although it, it was built by people and there yeah. are some problems you can not easily solve, right? So uh, Exactly, exactly. I, I think it's a matter of trust. When, when you feel that you could trust this thing and over time you get re related to it and, and you engage with it only afterwards you can forgive it's like with people right you forgive only the ones that you really want to forgive because yeah. you trust them right I think, so, so, yes, I think it's a learned habit right where we 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 built a world where we do trust more because if you go anywhere you expect or we expect and trust that light which I turn on there's going to be electric lights going to go on so I think we've kind of over years built habit that the machines around us, your microwave will always press the button, it works. Your, you know, you always go for Wi-Fi, it'll work. So it's, it's I suppose this inherent trust is just being followed on and now being put, put as an expectation of the next level of tech, which is a bit more complex. And that's where the break point is that we've actually built a world where our machines are quite reliable. Your water tap, water will always come out. You know, yeah. <laughs> your TV, yep, yeah, right. it's, it's always BBC News on, it's always going to be on. Uh, LinkedIn, yeah. you're always going to find it live. And I think, so I think maybe that's where it comes from. It's an expectation based on past experience that we've got. So I'm, I'm curious to see how you see our world when we are humans relating to these technologies and robots and how will our world could evolve to a direction that you would like to see like, you know, 50 years from now, let's let it like further. How do you so imagine that? So, so if, if something really fascinating is that um, all tech on earth actually kind of is a, a blueprint to where it is going. Um, and this blueprint is our science fiction writings. Go back to the 60s, a lot of it was wrong, but nearly everything you see today, you've probably seen in Star Trek. I mean, the communication technology. So science fiction writers already kind of wrote a blueprint. Um, and you think of every sci-fi novel you've ever read or have movie you've seen, any one of those is our potential future, pretty much, because yeah. <laughs> it's going that direction. Because uh, these yeah. are people who thought about it for their entire lives and wrote about it already. So just look to that. Um, ideally, for me, I'd love to see the utopian Star Trek society where everything is free, there's no hunger, there's no conflict, uh, resources are just abundance and people's freedom to choose what they want to do just to, to, to 
for the human journey is just discover yourself or the meaning of life because you don't actually have to do anything. That's the ideal feature for me. Um, but where we're going, this is where I think we're going. Imagine, if you will, 200 years from now, a child wakes up and then suddenly an object appears in his room. Oh, it's his agenda. This is how he's always maybe seen the world. And then instantly his friend teleports in. Hey, John, how are you doing? Oh, hi, how are you doing? Should we go to Sarah's? Where is she? I think she's on Mars. Oh, okay, shall we go? Another screen appears. For his friend, this is the world he's always known to. Instantly they teleport and they're in Sarah's in Mars. And then Mars, oh my gosh, let me tell you, I met this hippie last night who told me that, you know, no, our, our world, the metaverse, they're saying it's not actually real. Apparently there's a real world somewhere out there where was they actually made it, our, our great, great grandparents made this place called the metaverse and this world isn't real. And they all laugh, ha ha ha, that's ridiculous. So <laughs> I, what I'm getting is I see a time where there's full integration between technology and humanity. You don't know what's technology anymore. You don't know what's real anymore where We've had so many adapt adaptations to even the nature around us where you won't know there's, there's a natural tree or it's not a natural tree because it's all the same thing anyway. And kids are born in a metaverse and they don't even know they're in a metaverse anymore. And then they ask the questions we ask, are we in the matrix? Then we ask, are we in the metaverse? Yeah. Yeah, so. I see. That's, I see, that's I see. the future I think is likely to happen because we're already beginning to modify ourselves, right? To, and yeah. using technology like the metaverse to add layers to our reality what happens is it gets more optimized in a way where it becomes invisible so when technology is so good it becomes invisible you don't really notice it's there um but like yeah wi-fi just works right yeah i see what you're saying it's like it makes sense that we'll um grow our capacity to just understand the world differently and maybe experience the world differently, partly real and partly dig digital and maybe all digital and not like, and, and understand what you're saying. I'm just, I'm trying to think what is like really human, what humans really need and what they just do because they can, right? So it's like, yeah, just trying to understand that. Very deep and existential very quickly, but I'm, um if you follow these sort of the patterns within nature and evolution, uh, I don't think any ant knows that they're building an anthill or any bee knows they're building a beehive. And that's right. how I kind of see us, where we're the ants building an anthill, where none of us can see it, but it's racing somewhere. We can't see where it's racing so quickly and we all play our parts and we'll tell ourselves um, that there's, you know, we decided to do it, but we did um, Yeah. Look at capitalism itself. Um, <laughs> I call it nature's greatest invention. Um, yeah, for oh, sure, oh. we're like in the middle of a very interesting era of things changing in, in politics, in the world, in society, and in tech. Like tech is just part of what's going on in the world yeah. and how people are changing, um, which is really, you know, like I, I just told my, my husband that, you know, like in Israel, we have enough action. We, we're not missing, like we have enough, uh, you know, like things to do. Like we're, yeah. we're not bored at all. Okay, yeah. but still, I feel like right now with these two years, everything is changing and technology is, is so fast. It was fast before, but now even faster, I would say. Yeah. So we're in a very, very interesting and even dense uh, history yeah, phase, so I only, would say. So the only logical conclusion, uh, if you keep modeling this out, is um, 
it's going to keep changing faster to a point where we have to modify ourselves to keep up. So what will happen is you will soon start seeing um, memory enhancement technology where people have technology that will enhance their memory. Um, um, what that will do is you end up having jobs where you likely will only get a job if you're modified because you've got a big capacity or you might get a job because your vision is better and because you've modified it. So to keep up in the world to come will be the people who are most adept at having made themselves faster and better. So you see it already. Uh, look at the latest jobs in social media or TikTok. It's fast paced. You need to know how to change the algorithm quick um, because it's it's like the algorithm is like a, a, a snake eating its own tail. It changes pretty much every day. What's what's in taste? This trend, this trend. And, and yeah, you need a computer like brain. And that's going to be across multiple platforms. And then you're going to find Sooner or later, someone's going to make it understand it now because they're better integrated. Um, I, I would believe that there will be the opposite side, that people would try to go out of the metrics and go back to, like, not doing everything fast. You know, like, I heard the lecture, which was very, very interesting, saying that people are breathing faster today than, like, 50 or 100 years ago. It's like changing our biology. It's not only the way that we relate to, to technology. And I think that there's like, the, we are st we still have this body. We, we need to relate to it in a sense, at least now. Okay. Yeah. And and I think that there, like, there is this space that it's, it's too fast for your body. Like how fast can you breathe? That's what I'm saying. Like, and, and it makes me think like, what would be this limit that we'll say to ourselves, yeah, that's good for me. I want it. I, I, I have to be there. And there is this stage you're saying, okay, like I need to take a few steps back. I'm just imagining my grandsons and maybe their grandsons thinking about it. Right. But why would they when they're born in a world of Instagram? So we would think like that, where we know what it's like without it. But if you look at the kids today, they're born into it. Right? They're born where it just always was there. TikTok is just there. Yeah, right. And so... For them, they don't know an alternative, so they're running a software program in their head, which is, oh, the world has always been about pace and fast moving going forward. Maybe and you're right. So, yeah, so it's just a, it's just <laughs> a so either way, it could be either way, it could be right, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. But no, I'm so, I think it's yeah. going to be parallel. Like it will be this and this in the same time. Like there are people who are just saying, okay, I want diverging, it, I want it all. Kind of diverging the evolved, in the evolved structure. Yeah, that's, that yeah, actually makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that's well, I could talk about this all day, so don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I, I have another question for you. Sure. Like you've you've done so many like inventions and you're like a successful innovator. So what what is needed, you know, to be this successful and, and going from one subject to the other to another topic to another market? What is really needed for people to do this change? Mm, I don't want to sound cliche, but I think it's it's poor, pure perseverance past the point where most rational people would put. Perseverance? Um, I, I, I was sure you're going to say curiosity, so I'm, I'm yeah. surprised here. No, so what happens, you're yeah, right, curiosity, but um, there's good ideas and dumb ideas. Um, so curiosity, yes, it could take you down the rabbit hole, but a bad idea could actually be a good idea if it's executed well. And so what you find is people who stick to what it is, they're, they're doing like they have a vision and they stick to it. And there's every reason for them to, to just stop because it's it's irrational to continue. But they continue. This is, I think, what clearly seems to separate winners and losers. It's the same in 
what we do, right? How many times have we been told that, you know, you could not do this, you shouldn't do this, it's not the way to go. And we're still doing it. In fact, we've done it. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's really hard being a, an entrepreneur. I mean, really, really hard. Um, no matter what industry you're in, be it apps, be it um, self-driving cars, um, just if I told you any of the stories in, in our own narrative, you'd be like, no way, what happened? Um, I think even to launch our car, we had um, a bit of an exchange with um, a party government where there was some confusion as to whether our cars should even be registered. Um, and yeah, it was a live event and we said no. And then after we finally resolved this with government like a few days before, then there was a question as to insurance. It turns out these things can't be insured at all because no insurer has it on their database. It's a new type of car which is unclassified. And then I remember, wait, you could actually just write your own insurance but have it underwritten and thought of like new ways to do things. And again, within 24 hours, um, this car's not insured, it's not supposed to be possible. And then there's always something, you know, where it's like, should we just move the date back? No, you know. And hmm. um, by this just not accepting no for an answer, finding different ways, adapt, it's got to be another way, adapt. Um, yeah. Or even to get our magic sort of space bus to the Air Force on time, um, there was some complexity around, um, you know, getting it there because only certain people can drive a bus, all that stuff. And I didn't get a license myself, which is really complicated. <laughs> it's like, um, um, yeah. and then had to get the other car there. And how do we get our car there and the bus and a third car? Wait, this it's called breakdown cover. Um, can you <laughs> my car? So it's just all sorts of complexity and got there by 3 a.m., you know, because most yeah. people would not have done that. It's just thinking outside the box and perseverance. And I think most entrepreneurs who are successful today can give you countless examples. Didn't Elon Musk um, get the money for Tesla for the 24 hours before bankruptcy or something? Um, yeah, because most would have quit before, um, but, but it's just an entrepreneurial thing to keep going. So how do you think, like, when you think about yourself, what are the emotional capabilities or skills that are needed to go, you know, in this roller coaster when you're going up and then it goes really, really down and then you need... To keep up the faith, right? And yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think people like my method is quite brutal. I'm quite brutal myself. So um, I think of where I need to be by the end of the year. Um, so end of the year, I need to be need to have done this specific. It needs to be structured like this. Okay, fine. To do this thing by the end of the year, how shall we be? Look, how shall, how shall we look three months before? Okay, so then set a data point. What we need to have done by then? What should we do three months before? So kind of reverse engineer everything that needs to be done. We just create the instruction of the data points you need to get to going forward. So to get there, what skill do I need to have to be able to get there? How should I be thinking? Um, fine, does it mean I'm not going to any social events for the next three months? Does it mean I'm not I'm working every night for the next three months? So I'll literally architect not just what the company's doing, but the version of myself that's going to exist in the next sort of 12 months. And yeah, some have said, I'm sorry, your tears don't add value, get to work. That's how I, I, just, I just get it done, you know, it's like, um, um, yeah, yeah. so that's how I, so I'm just brutal on myself, like a programmer, just get it done. It, don't find, like, find a different way and stuff. Just as long as you don't not edit too much, you don't say other people, just you get it done. So that's how I do it myself and it works for me. And the end result is results. Yeah. And so then I'll celebrate again because I'm then happy then, yeah, program complete. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're saying first you don't let things um, control you. So you're controlling 
uh, the way Very that you're yeah, thinking and, and it's not like overwhelming the, the fact that something is really hard right now that's first and second I'm trying to just think about like the emotional capabilities here and the second one is like when you're done in a certain stage like it doesn't have to be the end uh, uh, line like here right now I can celebrate this stage and then I have the energy too Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there are times where you think, oh my gosh, I think most people would crumble under the pressure and have a breakdown for sure. But that's not going to get it done, is it? Let's get it done. <laughs> so to me, it's like, oh, yeah. my gosh, a whole yeah. day is going to be up to face this, up to face yeah. that. Okay, that's so fine. I guess, I guess we stop then. You know, yeah. and just get on with it. It's, it's because all that matters, I mean, I've got a very, maybe, growing up looking at the end, all that matters is The things that we did and so I don't know it's it's I could be the person who I sat in bed and I was sad about it where I don't know I know I know that that makes sense for sure to do so that I'm not saying anything wrong with that but for me personally I'm I don't know I've got two choices progress or no progress and I think I'll always choose progress and yeah to conceptualize or put into words but um Yeah, yeah I understand what you're saying. It's like I, I, I choose to go forward. Yes. That's, that's what I'm doing. I see mm. what you're saying. Okay, so we're almost done, and I have, like, the last questions. What is your number one tip for leaders today? I'm not going to give a tip for leaders. I want to give a tip, if I can, for younger entrepreneurs. Okay. Yeah, they should be careful of the traps. The traps are, number one, hustle culture. Let's do the hustle, the grind. That is, I think, the biggest lie ever told to entrepreneurs because if I challenge you to find 15 or 20 of the top entrepreneurs on earth today, wherever, in any country or wherever you may be, ask them about the hustle. They don't hustle. Do you think Mark Zuckerberg is up there hustling? Is Elon Musk hustling? Am I hustling? No, we, we, there's order. We, we, we don't, we're not jumping from crypto cats, NFTs, this cool new thing. We don't jump from fad to fad. We hyper-focus on where we want to do planet over years and often follow that narrative you know to the until it's done that's what is what makes successful entrepreneurs and definitely not the hustle culture and where i think the hustle culture comes from is the the one-line blog or one-line youtube video types where it's easy to put a killer one line which is cool and it seems to make sense um and everyone jumps on with it and there are many many examples of these one-liners where It's, it's, it's all about the team. There's so many little one-liners where you question, huh, is, is that really a thing or is it, is it just become a thing because everyone says it and so is it really the right way? So an example being fundraising. We've known when you have a company like a startup, you have to get a venture capital. You raise money from venture capital. Or do you? So... I have a self-driving car company right now funded by over 300 angel investors using a combination of crowdfunding um, and seed legals. So I have, remember one, without crowdfunding, we've got about 30 investors in less than 30 days and meeting one, having a conversation, having a signed contract within five minutes. These are structures that exist, but you don't get, tend to be told these that, yeah, you can actually... Do it all in less than five minutes. They're fine, you're fine, send the documents. In less than five minutes, they're signed, the money's transferred, done. These processes exist. Um, 
So when we're raised, we're like, what do you mean you're not venture funded? You know, and they, as if you're kind of done something wrong. You're like, no, but, but the people are funding us. These are all the hedge fund owners anyway. <laughs> they give us money personally. So it's important to question the structures that exist and think, is this the only way to do it? This applies to, is this the only way to make a self-driving car? Do I put an expensive sensor? That's how to do it. Is this the only way to raise money? Um, we're actually looking at a structure at the moment where we should actually be able to accept actual investment using cryptocurrency, where people can actually transfer their Bitcoin converted to US dollars, Ted or something, as an actual investment, which our accountants tell us that they might actually be able to, able to even get a tax rebate or something. But, but that's for the accountants. But generally, question the structures that are being told, oh, this is how it's done. Is it? Um, because I think the flaw definitely comes from how we're taught in university, which is your professor, your lecturer always say, go solve this problem. And you come back with an answer. So it's linear, top down. You never actually say, but that question is actually wrong. What do you mean that's the law? Who came up with that? Can I just look at that law again? And think, Why are we using that? That's a way from the 70s. We live in science fiction worlds now. We, we could actually solve this this way. So change it completely, you know, and just right. do it with a new law, with a new algorithm, with a new way of doing it. So I think questioning the structure and system you're using and trying to find a better way, because the worst thing is to keep optimizing an old system or a broken system um, when you really don't have to. So venture capital is good. I'll go for venture funding soon too, but I've gotten this far where most people used 100 million. I use a lot less using angels and so many of them. And um, I think just this weekend, I think like five investors approached me with you know, small checks, like 10 grand a year, 15, 20. And yeah, we did it all this weekend, closed. I didn't even meet them. No conversation on the phone, done. And my final word will be a plan. If any of your listeners know any angel investors who want to invest in a self-driving car startup, um, go to our website, Academy of Robotics, the credit UK, forward slash investors. Anyone can invest in us. That's it. Wow. Sounds good. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> Thank so, you very much. Academy of Robotics slash... UK slash investors. Yes. Slash investors. Okay. So first, I want to thank you for your time, William. It's been very interesting and, and insightful, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And to the yeah. audience, thank you so much. Uh, follow us yeah. on social media. Sure. William Sachiti, that's the name. You can find it on LinkedIn. He's really, really attentive, and, and you could find it easily. And to all of you changemakers out there, thank you for joining me. And if you want to learn more what I do, go to invincibleinnovation.com, and I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. Bye-bye. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.